morning I'm going to be talking about knowing God as a father, a unique relationship that is available to all of us through faith in Jesus Christ. So um, I'm just going to start by reading the Lord's Prayer found in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus was speaking in this manner, therefore pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. So this prayer of Jesus starts with, in this manner, pray. So in other words, Jesus is saying we don't have to pray these exact words, even though it can be nice, just like we did, to pray those exact words. But it's more of a general template of what we should be praying for. You'll notice that over half the prayer is focused on God on his kingdom and his will being accomplished. The second half of the prayer is focused on our needs. You know, give us this day our daily bread. Um, Forgive us our sins, Lord. So if you were here for my sermon a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about the peace of God which can protect our hearts and minds. And in Philippians chapter 4, it says, instead of being anxious, we should make our requests be made known to God. Um, But... It should be with thanksgiving that we make our requests because it's not just about our needs. It's also about connecting with our Father in heaven. It's also about knowing Him, meditating on His promises, meditating on His faithfulness and the great things that He's done for us in Christ. So I intended originally to go verse by verse through the Lord's Prayer with us this morning. But um, if you're going to serve the Lord, you're going to find out that it's not always about your agenda. I was um, wanting to do that, but the Lord wanted me to just focus on the first line of this prayer, and that is our Father in heaven, who we are addressing when we pray. We're addressing a Father in heaven. Now, you'll notice when Jesus starts this prayer, he doesn't say, my Father in heaven. He doesn't say, when you pray, pray to my Father. He says, pray to our Father, plural. So the question we need to ask this morning is, is God everyone's Father? And also, what sort of father is he? Because as we all know, um, in the 21st century, there's a lot of dropkick dads. Um, Didn't really know how to say that, less blunt. (laughs) And uh, our heavenly father, I hope by the end of this you'll understand he's not like that. He's a good father. He's a loving father. He's different from perhaps your experience in your own family life. Now, there's a sense in which God is the father of all people. So we read in Acts chapter 17 when Paul's preaching to the Athenians, he, uh, he refers to them as the offspring of God, and he says, we're all the offspring of God. Uh, now what Paul meant by that is not that they're sons of God in the sense that Paul would use later in his other letters, but what he meant is that we're all created in the image of God, in the likeness of God. Malachi chapter 2 verse 10 says, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? And so there is a sense in which he is the father of all people in that he is the creator, he is the originator of life. And isn't it wonderful to know that no matter who you are, you are created in the image of God. You're created in his likeness. There's value there. God sees value there. You're created to be representing God on the earth. And unfortunately, we don't always mirror that. But isn't it wonderful to know that we're not a mistake, that God was intentional about creating humans? So it could be said that he's God the Father because he's our creator, 
but the Bible obviously uses a more nuanced view of God as Father in different contexts. So in one way, he was uniquely the father of the nation of Israel. So in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, Moses was instructed by God to say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, and that's in capitals, so it's Jehovah. Thus says Jehovah, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. In Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, God said, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Now the nation of Israel knew God as father of their nation. He was the one who had rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. He protected them and led them and provided for them in the wilderness. And he brought them into their own homeland. They knew him as Yahweh or Jehovah, which was the name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. He told Moses to tell the Israelites that I am had sent him to deliver the people. Now, even though the Israelites saw God as their father, he was more the father of their nation rather than their individual father, if that makes sense. Um, Nearly every prayer in the Old Testament is addressed to God as Lord or God or Jehovah. It's not addressed to God as father. There's actually very, very few verses in the Old Testament that refers to God as a father. So when we get to the New Testament, it should be striking to us that Jesus most often referred to God as Father because no other prophet in the past ever majored on that theme of God. So, for example, in John chapter 17, when Jesus was praying in the garden, um, it says on six different occasions in that John chapter 17 passage that Jesus addressed him as Father. And uh, in John 17, he says to them, I have declared your name to my disciples. So what does it mean that Jesus had declared the name of God to his disciples? You know, as I've discussed previously, when we see capital L-O-R-D in the Bible or capital G-O-D, all in capitals, in our English translations, um, that's just letting you, the reader, know that that was the original word Yahweh or Jehovah, the name of God revealed to Moses. And so the word Jehovah actually appears in our Bibles 6,000 times in the Old Testament or over 6,000 times. Um, And that's the divine name of God rather than a generic term like Lord or Master or King or Deity. But earlier in John 17, Jesus said, I've revealed your name to the men you have given to me. Now, these are Jewish disciples that, that he's been with in his earthly ministry. Of course, they knew the name of Jehovah. You know, they knew the scriptures from a young age. All the Jews did. You know, they've read his name 6,000 times if they've read the entire Old Testament. So knowing him as Jehovah, knowing that name, um, I would suggest to you is not the name that Jesus was referring to in his high priestly prayer of John chapter 17. Did you know in the uh, gospel accounts, every prayer recorded of Jesus, he, he addresses God as Father, except for one. Did you know that there was one that he didn't address God as Father? When Jesus was on the cross, he prayed, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is the first verse of Psalm 22. This is the only time that he prayed to God as God rather than as Father. You see, when Jesus hung on the cross, the Bible says that he bore our sin in his body. He was the sinless one who had a perfect relationship with the Father, but he took our sin and became a curse for us and was judged in our place. It says in Isaiah 53 that we're all like sheep, 
We've all gone astray. Each of us, we've all turned to our own, our, our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. So you see, Jesus became sin on the cross for us. Paul puts it this way. God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So this morning, if you're in Christ, you're righteous because Jesus became a curse for you so that you could be righteous before God the Father. Now, why am I making this distinction between knowing God as Father and knowing God as Lord or Jehovah or anything like that? Um, there is a distinction there to be had. You see, uh, for those of you who don't know, my dad, my father's name is uh, Stephen Gibbs. And he's the owner of a caravan business that I work for called Bush Tracker. I'm not advertising myself right now. <laughs> um, but we often get telemarketers call up. And, you know, they'll, they'll, I'll get this phone call and it'll be, hello, sir, may I speak to the business owner? And, <laughs> and uh, I'm like, great. Um, so I'm like, yeah, no, he's not here right now. Or sometimes they'll call up and they will have done their research and they'll say, hello, I'd like to speak to Mr. Stephen Gibbs. And that's the way that they refer to him, because they don't really know him. They may know about him. They may know his position, but they don't really know him. Now, if you've met um, him before, you, you may drop the N off of his name and just call him Steve. So he'd be like, hey, Steve, or hey, mate. Um, that's what his friends would call him. But, you know, that's all good and well. And, you know, if you're a friend of, of Steve, he, he might do a lot for you. You know, if you're in need, he might help you out. Uh, he might yeah, give you advice or something. But... You see, I know him in a completely different capacity. I know him as father. I know him as my dad. And that's a unique relationship. That's an intimate relationship that far surpasses the relationship of friendship. It far surpasses just a general name to describe him. I know him as father. And my dad would do, he'd give the world, he'd give his own life for me because I have a good dad. Romans 8 verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? That's the kind of father we have in heaven. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is encouraging the disciples to pray to their father in heaven. He says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? That's the sort of Father we have. Jesus came to reveal God as Father. He was not only the God who had rescued the nation of Israel out of slavery, he's not only the God, the Creator, but Jesus was revealing a deeper relationship with God so that we could know him as our father in heaven. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, Jesus says, no one knows the son except the father, nor does anyone know the father except the son and the one whom the son wills to reveal him. So unless Jesus reveals the father to us, we can't know him in that capacity. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So this morning, if, if you want a relationship with God and know him as Father, you have to come through Jesus. He's the only way that you can know God as Father. You see, we're not automatically children of God by birth in the sense that we have a father-son relationship. 
The Bible teaches we need a new birth. We need a new heart. We need to be born again. And when we're united in Christ, we can know God in that capacity as Father. John chapter 1, verse 12, it's up on the screen, says, As many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. So when we put our trust in Jesus, he gives us the right to be known as children of God, and God becomes our Father. As it says in Galatians 3.26, For you're all children of God, or you're all sons of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. Now the Bible often uses the language of adoption to talk about this relationship transfer that takes place. In Romans chapter 8, it says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, ladies, I would like to address you this morning for a brief time. The authors of the Bible are not being sexist when they call you a son of God. Just in the same way that we men have to deal with the fact that Paul calls us the bride of Christ. (laughs) So we need to understand that there are gender distinctions there to show us something unique that would have made sense to the first century listeners. So I was reading a Bible commentary yesterday that explained it really well, so I'll just read it to you. Um, In the Roman world of the first century AD... An adopted son was deliberately chosen by an adoptive father to perpetuate perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. He was in no way inferior, inferior in status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature. Under Roman adoption, the life and standing of the adopted child changed completely. The adopted son lost all rights in his old family and gained all new rights in his new family. The old life of the adopted son was completely wiped out with all debts being cancelled, with nothing from his past counting against him anymore. Isn't that wonderful? No matter what family tree you've been a part of or are currently a part of by birth, by natural birth, by new birth through trusting in Christ, you're united to the God of the universe who becomes your father, who wipes away your debts and adopts you and calls you his son. That status of firstborn son made a lot of sense to the Jews as well because we read in Deuteronomy that the firstborn son was the one who received the double portion of the inheritance. It was the highest place of honor in the family to be born as a firstborn son. So whether male or female listening to that good news message in the first century, they heard the news that God wasn't just going to treat them like any child. He was going to treat them like a firstborn son. Isn't that wonderful? And we're going to see later, he's going to treat you in the way that he loved Jesus Christ specifically as his, his firstborn son. So the Bible uses these gender distinctions to describe something unique about God and his relationship to us, which is why the Bible also calls God a father and not a mother. Again, he's not saying that God um, is biologically a male or anything like that. It's trying to show us something about the attributes of God. You see, the traditional role of a father is to protect, to lead, and to provide for their children. Now, unfortunately, your earthly father may not have modeled that well, but your heavenly father is perfect in his love. Now, some of you are going to struggle with this concept, this idea of God as your father because you haven't had it modeled for you in your own lives. You know, some of you have had fathers that have abandoned you. 
Um, some of you who have had fathers who have just come home from work and sat on the couch and just watched television instead of spending time with you. They were absent fathers. They were abusive fathers when they should have been protecting you. Um, you know, I don't want to labor this point, but we all know that a lot of earthly fathers have failed their families. They've failed to love them. They've failed to model the heavenly father for their children. And if that's been your experience, I just want to say that I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry that that was your experience. But this morning, I want you to hear that there is a God in heaven who's not like that. He's the true dad for those who've had dads that have let them down. Psalm 68 verse 5 says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. A father of the fatherless and a defender of widows. That's the God we serve. And I know some of you in this room, um, you know, that's going to mean something to you. It really is. Because God told me to preach on his fatherhood this morning. It wasn't what I wanted to preach, but it was something that someone or a number of you needed to hear, that God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. Now, no matter what your experiences were with your earthly parents, you don't have to feel like an orphan this morning. You know, you don't have to feel like you come from a cursed family line. So let's spend the rest of this morning looking at what God the Father is like. The first thing I want to bring up is God the Father is like Jesus. You see, we read in John chapter 14, verse 8, Philip the disciple asked Jesus, he said, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus responded to Philip and said, Philip, have I been with you so long and yet you've not known me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. No Old Testament prophet would ever have the gall to say that. Jesus perfectly revealed the Father on earth. So he was the flawless revelation of the Father. When we read about how Jesus treated people, the words he spoke, we can understand who the Father in heaven is like. So we should look at how Jesus fathered the disciples. They often failed him, but he was patient with them and restored them. Look at the life of Peter, for example. The apostle Peter failed him three times. Three times he was asked, you know, do you know this man on trial? And Peter denied knowing him. Like, I don't know what you've done in your life, but denying Jesus publicly like that when you claim that you die for him, what a horrible thing to do. And yet after the resurrection, Jesus sought him out, revealing the father's heart for him. He sought him out and he received him and he forgave him. He restored him. And Peter was able to flourish under that loving care. I want you to also see how Jesus regarded those who were least esteemed in the public. You know, um, during his earthly ministry, he was obviously very popular, very famous, and um, infamous as well, of course. We read in Matthew 10 that some parents one day brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples and he said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these little children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child would by no means enter it. Then he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. You know, this is, this is a God who stoops down to those who are considered least esteemed in the world's eyes. In the first century, children and widows were, were the disregarded ones of the society. And Jesus paused his, his live, you know, 
big thousand crowd meetings to stoop down and play with the little children. And he was showing something of the, the father's heart for us this morning. I hope you can see that. First John verse three, verse, chapter three, verse one says, behold, what manner of love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. You're not an inconvenience to God this morning. Some of you have might, might have felt like an inconvenience to your earthly parents, but there's a God in heaven who doesn't look at you as an inconvenience. In Mark chapter 2, verse 16, we read about Jesus dining with tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees attacked him and said, you know, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So this morning, you might not feel worthy of God's love. You might feel like, you know, you're not deserving to call God your father, but Jesus revealed the heart of the father for those who are considered sinners by the populace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And as I said earlier, in the same way that the Father loved the Son, He loves us in that same manner. And for some people, it's really hard to get their heads around that God could possibly love you as much as He loved Jesus Christ. But as always, we need to find our answers from Scripture And in John chapter 17, verse 22, when Jesus was praying, he says that they may be one as we are one. He's praying for the disciples. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then he says, you have loved them even as you have loved me. What a statement. You have loved the disciples even as you have loved me. If you're abiding in Christ this morning, the Father loves you in the same way he loves the Son. Now, some of you might have been Christians for a long time, and you may have known him as father, but you may have walked away and made a mess of your life, you know, and you might say that you've let the father down, and you're not even worthy to be called his son anymore. Do you you recall anything in the Bible that sounds something familiar to that, that you're not worthy to be called his son anymore? Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? See, he wandered far from his father. He ruined his life by living an immoral lifestyle. And when he finally came to himself, he said, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And what happens next? The father sees him coming from a distance, says he runs to him. He embraces him. He puts the best robe on him and he holds a celebration feast for him. So if you're that person this morning, that has wandered from God, even though you formally called yourself a believer, formally called God your father, I want you to know that you can be restored to God this morning, just in the same way the prodigal son was, that he would run to you, that he would embrace you, that he would clothe you, and he would celebrate over you. The famous evangelical J.I. Packer once wrote, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new, 
and better than the old, everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. So in conclusion, this morning, I want you to, I want you to ask the question, do you know God as your father? Do you know him as our father? Every person in this room has an equal opportunity to come to God this morning because the grounds aren't based on your performance. They're not based on how good you look to God. They're based on Christ. They're based on what Christ has done at the cross. When he became sin for us, God was reconciling the world to himself so that you could have a relationship with God and know him as your own personal father this morning. And so when we pray, our father in heaven, we have a good dad, a dad who cares about us and a dad who pursues us. So I'm going to hand back over to Pastor Darren, and he has um, yeah, a song for us. Uh, a morning of relationship, which is very interesting. I heard the story told of a, a single mum in South America who had a, a daughter and uh, the daughter hit teenage years. How many of you know they're fun? Girls are teenage years. But she rebelled and she ran away from home and she went to the city and she got involved with drugs and sex and prostitution, a whole bunch of stuff like that. And her mum was distraught. She couldn't find her daughter. She didn't know what to do. So she gathered all her money together and she printed off a little flyer and she went and she stuck it in every seedy hotel and every rundown place and every bar and on every street corner that she could. And one morning her daughter got up in a dirty hotel having had a, a, a terrible night and feeling horrible and she looked and there on the notice board was was these words, I don't care what you've done, I don't care what you've become, come home. And that's, I believe, the Lord's message to you today. It doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter what's going on, that God loves you as a father and his arms are outstretched to you this morning and he's saying, come home, it's time to come home. And some of you have been running from him for a long time and some of you are still running from him. But I tell you right this morning, as the prodigal's father was there with his arms outstretched, as Josh shared with us, it's time for you to come home. So I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes. This is a song I've, I've sung in concerts and so on all around the world, but I've kind of redone it a bit, and uh, it's a really special song to me. And it's a special message to us this morning. So just close your eyes. Just concentrate on him.
just open our hearts to you now. You want us home. Father, we thank you for your infinite love, the incredible love of a father who wants the very best for us. Some of you now, you can sense that, that father just tugging at your heartstrings right now. I want to lead you in a prayer because your daddy wants you home. If you've been estranged from him, if you've walked away from him, if that relationship hasn't been what it should be, this is your moment to get it right and to come home. Just say these words with me. Say, Father, I'm coming home. Forgive me for what I've done. Forgive me for not being close to you. But at this very moment, I'm coming home. Lord, you've heard those prayers. Many people have prayed that. And Father, I pray that we would just deepen our relationship with you. That we would just be able to honor you and praise you as your children, as we should do. And Lord, into your hands we commit our spirits that we might truly be sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And if you're the King of Kings and we're your sons and daughters, what does that make us? Princes and princesses. Lord, I pray that we would live like royalty in Jesus' name. Amen.